All right, have a seat. If you got a Bible or uh, if you're online, there is a program there, Acts, uh, or I'm sorry, Psalm 34. And uh, we started a series a couple of weeks ago that we just simply called Broken. And so we're going to look at the idea of brokenness from some different angles in the Bible. In the first week, we talked about being broken in the sense of we have to come to the end of ourselves before, by the grace of God, before God's really going to give us a new uh, beginning. And then last week, we looked at Nehemiah and talked about how that the godly response to sin and suffering in the world is brokenness and that God wants to break us in order to use us to make a difference in the world. Next week on Father's Day, we're going to look at a broken family. Uh, on, the, on the 28th, the plan is kind of do a special celebration service in being back together in the building, do some of the things we couldn't do online or out here, like communion and honor the graduates and some things like that. And then on July the 5th, planning on, if plans mean anything right now, planning on ending this on uh, July the 5th and talking about fixing what's broken and uh, talking about the idea of justice, uh, which is a big word right now now, talk about that from a biblical perspective. But today we're going to talk about um, having a broken heart. And what can we do when we have a broken heart? What is God doing when our hearts are broken? And if we're honest, all of us at times in our lives have felt overwhelmed, have felt kind of crushed in our spirit. All of us have been brokenhearted. It maybe was over a breakup, a relationship ending. Maybe it was a death. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a difficulty uh, with a child, some other kind of family problem. It may be financial issues, Wh whatever it may be. All of us experience sometimes in life just kind of feeling like we're at the end of our rope, kind of feeling uh, crushed, overwhelmed, just hurting on the inside. Um, you know, life right now, I think, and just in general, kind of lends itself to that, doesn't it? Um, Lori, our, our counselor and I were chatting the other day, and she said something I think is really true. Just right now in the world, people who normally aren't anxious probably in most cases have some kind of low level of anxiety. And people who already struggle with anxiety are really anxious right now. Uh, I think we, you know, we see this. I, I read something yesterday where Knox County has said that since the beginning of March, there have been 104 uh, suspected deaths by overdose in Knox County from March 1 to June 13th. For a reference point, uh, last year, there were 94 this isn't even talking about suicides. This is just overdoses. I think that says something about where people are. A, a nurse in our church said to me recently, at least in our area, we're probably losing more people to the infection of mental and emotional issues than we are to a virus, a physical sickness itself. Uh, we, we get overwhelmed. We get brokenhearted sometimes. And you know, something about the Bible that I think a lot of times people maybe don't realize is it's, it's a book that's pretty honest about its characters. Uh, 
You know, sometimes we think we talk about heroes in, in the Bible, like, uh, you know, Moses and Abraham and David and, uh, you know, just whoever else. But really, there's one hero in the Bible. His name is Jesus. Everybody else is flawed and sinful and has shortcomings. And we're going to look at an example of that today. David, who was uh, called by God to be a man after God's own heart, also colossally blew it in his life on different occasions. And the 34th Psalm, if you look in your Bible at the top of it, there's a superscription to it. There's a little description there that gives the historical context of it. And basically the background of it is that David had been chosen to be the next king. God's judgment was upon Saul. And he had, David had been anointed by Samuel, but he hadn't ascended to the throne yet. Well, Saul saw David's success, he saw his popularity, and he became jealous of him, and he wanted to kill him. So basically, David was running for his life. And uh, fortunately, Saul's son, Jonathan, uh, him and David were like best friends and he was helping him out, but David was still on the run. And at one point, and this is recorded in 1 Samuel 21, David got so desperate that he went to the Philistines who were Israel's arch enemy. And um, David had already killed a bunch of Philistines, but he went there to try to hide out from Saul. Well, the king uh, there became suspect of of this. And so David actually pretended to be insane so the king wouldn't kill him. Now, he probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. He was probably out of God's will. He probably made a mistake. But at this point, whether that's true or not, he's just scrambling to try to survive. He is definitely brokenhearted. He is definitely at the end of his rope. I mean, he came to the place where he was scribbling on the gates. He was drooling on himself. He was acting like an insane man so the king would not kill him. Well, by the grace of God, he gets out of that situation and he escapes and he goes to a cave and he's basically hiding out from Saul there. And, and, and while he's there in this cave on the heels of, in the aftermath of this experience, he pins this Psalm, he pins the 34th Psalm. And uh, if, in verse 18, he says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And some translations will translate this as literally broken hearted. And so I think that describes where David is. But what I want us to look at in, in this text today is what we can do when we're broken hearted and why we would do it. And so what I want to point out to us is four things that David says we can do spiritually when we're brokenhearted, and then finish up by talking about why we would do this. Because, and, and the why part is what God does in response to these things. Because I think, honestly, one of the things we have to decide in life, because we know we're going to have times where we get brokenhearted. We know we're going to go through uh, days and seasons and periods uh, of difficulty, things that crush us. Are we going to give up? Are we going to give in to temptation? Are we going to despair? Are we going to turn away from God? Are we going to turn to God? What are we going to trust in? What are we going to rely on? What's our uh, response going to be when life just overwhelms us this way. 
I mean, I hope we never get to the point where we got to pretend to be crazy to try to save our lives. But maybe some of us feel like I don't have to pretend to be crazy right now. I'm just kind of there already a little bit. So what do we do when our heart is broken? Well, look in Psalm 34, starting in verse one, and we'll kind of look at this in, in, in sections. What can I do when my heart is broken? One thing we can do is we can choose to worship the Lord. Look at what David says in verses one through three. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So, let me start with this section and with a question. Does our worship depend on our circumstances? Should our worship depend on our circumstances? The answer is no. I mean, because David wasn't like in some awesome circumstance here. But does it in our lives, if we're honest about it, like if things are good, are we like, you know, thank you, God, praise God, or if things are bad, are we like, you know, where are you, God? And, and, and so um, David here, basically in the midst of this problem, in the midst of this uh, difficulty, in the midst of running from Saul, said, my response is still going to be to worship our worship should not depend on our circumstances because God does not change with our circumstances. He's good all the time. He's on his throne all the time. Whether uh, the external things are bad in our lives or not at a given moment, Jesus still died for us. Jesus still rose from the dead. The spirit of God still lives inside of us. We always have a reason to worship. And if you count through this psalm, 16 times in this psalm, uh, David uses the word Lord. And, and so uh, are we going to view our circumstances through God? Or are we going to view God through our circumstances? That's one of the things that we have to decide. God is worthy of our worship because of who he is, because of what he's done for us. Notice this picture is both personal worship and corporate worship. But notice that there's, there's five verbs that he uses here to describe worship. I mean, th this is like a, a worship class 101 in these three verses. Notice what he says. He says, I will bless the Lord. He says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. He says, magnify the Lord. And he says, let us exalt his name together. Bless means to praise or to, th to thank. You know, praise, I think, is pretty self-explanatory, to speak well of. Boast in the Lord. You know, basically to brag on God, uh, to glory in God. And, you know, Paul said, God forbid that I boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. So do we glory in ourselves? Do we brag about ourselves or do we brag about Jesus? Uh, he, he uses the word magnify. And, and think about a magnifying glass. It makes something look big. To magnify the, the Lord means to make God look big, to, to uh, you know, praise him for who he really is, to extol uh, his greatness. I mean, do we have a view of God that God is big in our mind or do we have a view of 
God where God is small and weak in our minds. Because really, if God is big in our, in our minds, in our faith, then our problems are going to look small in comparison. But when God looks small, then our problems look really big in comparison. What are we magnifying? We can focus on our problems all day long and end up magnifying our problems, or we can magnify God and in contrast, minimize not the not living in denial, but just minimizing our problems in the sense of knowing that God's in control. And then he, he says to exalt the Lord. You know, the, in, in, in scripture, God is pictured as seated on his throne high and lifted up. And to exalt him means to lift him up, to acknowledge his rightful position as Lord over all, as king of the universe, to uh, you know, proclaim him and praise him for who he really is in all of his greatness. And so when life's good, when life's bad, when life's somewhere in between, are we going to worship the Lord? Is our worship independent of our circumstances or dependent on our circumstances? You know, are we going to choose every day to get up and begin the day with worshiping the Lord? Are we going to choose to make it a priority, whether right now it's, it's best for us to do it online or do it in person, to uh, come together on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, to corporately worship the Lord with the people of God? We're called to worship. And David says, even when your heart's broken, you can respond by worshiping the Lord. But number two, he says, starting in verse four, that even when our heart's broken, we can respond by seeking the Lord. By seeking the Lord. Uh, look at what he says in verse four. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. And notice the verbs here, sought looked. And then he says, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps, uh, 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 encamps all around those who fear him and delivers him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And, and you see this language uh, of, of seeking, uh, sought the Lord cried out to the Lord. I looked to him. I, 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 I tasted uh, the, the, the Lord. He's talking about seeking him. The Bible says in Jeremiah that when we seek the Lord with all of our hearts, that we'll find him. And so, you know, even in the midst of this crazy circumstance, and even in the midst of uh, maybe not handling it all the right way, David never stopped seeking the Lord. Listen, we're not always going to get it right, but do we keep seeking the Lord? And once again, one of the things we have to decide in the trials of life, are we going to turn to God? Or are we going to turn away from God? Can we trust that as we seek God, that God is working in our circumstance? Oh, it may not be easy, but do we believe he's in control? Do we believe that he's doing good things, that he's listening to us? I, I don't know about you, but sometimes, it, you know, it's, I, I mean, I, I know I preach this. I know it's the right thing that like, you know, we base our view of God on scripture and not our experience. But let's be honest. It's easy to get caught up in our experience sometimes, isn't it? it it's easy to feel like, man, my prayers, God's not listening. They're not going past the ceiling. I, you know, I've been seeking the Lord and uh, things are getting worse instead of better. That, that's, how it, that's what it feels like sometimes, I think, if we're honest. David could have felt that way. But there's some promises here 
And, and we'll get to that at the end. And I think we have to believe that God is always going to come through for his children, that he's working all things together for good, even sometimes when it doesn't look like it, even sometimes when it doesn't feel like it, even when, you know, in the timing, like, you know, God's time frame and our time frame is different, right? I want God to fix everything and make it easy instantaneously. But I know a lot of times there's things that God has wanted me to walk through because he's more interested in my heart than in the circumstances. And he's doing some things in me that's gonna to lead to better things in the end, but he's gotta do something in me before he does something for me. Do we trust that if we're seeking the Lord, he's not ever gonna forsake his children? So David says, worship the Lord. He says, seek the Lord. But then he says also in verses nine through 16, to fear the Lord. Look at what he says here. He says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves uh, many uh, days uh, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And we talk about fearing God. We're talking about an attitude that leads to action. He lays out some specific actions here. He talks about desiring life, loving many days. He says to keep your tongue from evil, to depart evil and to do good, to seek peace and pursue it. Uh, you see, to fear God is to reverence God, to be submitted to God, to see that God has all power, to see that we're going to have to answer uh, to God, to live, you know, just kind of in, you know, we don't have to live in fear of judgment, but we ought to have a really, really, really healthy respect for the greatness and the power of God. And you know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's having a right perspective on the world. It's seeing the world through God's eyes because the reality is, you know, if we don't fear God, we're kind of just gonna do what we wanna do and we're gonna end up making our problems worse because, I mean, let's be real. A lot of times when we're discouraged, when our heart's broken, when we're going through difficulties, and maybe when we're kind of questioning God, when we're like, where, is, where are you, Lord? Are you really gonna come through? The temptation that we encounter, the lie that Satan tries to plant in our minds is uh, God's not there, God's forgotten about you. You just kind of handle your own problem. Or, you know, do something that's gonna make you feel better. You know, God's not paying any attention to you. Just kind of go do what you want to do. That's sometimes, uh, you know, when we're really down, when we're really discouraged, you know, we try to find comfort in the wrong places and in the wrong ways. And that's Satan's lie. But kind of the part of the antidote to that, at least, is to fear God, to know that God is always watching, to know that we reap what we sow, to know that we're going to have to answer for what we do. And yes, we're saved by grace, but grace is not, you know, just a lie 
license to do whatever we want to do. Grace is also given to empower us to obey. Do we fear the Lord? God will never condemn his children. We don't have to fear judgment, but God disciplines those that he loves. And problems are not an excuse to go do whatever we want to do. So worship the Lord, seek the Lord, fear the Lord, and then fourth, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Look at what he said here. He's already said in verse eight, blessed is the man who trusts in him. But then let's read starting in verse 17 down through the end of the psalm. He says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. Well, how are we made righteous? We're made righteous through faith in uh, Jesus Christ. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Listen, there's nothing in this Psalm that's like the prosperity gospel that's, pro that's promising health, wealth, prosperity, happiness, and easy life. In fact, it's kind of promising the opposite, isn't it? He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they, those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. He, he says here, ultimately, to trust the Lord no matter what is going on. Well, that then raises the question, why? Why trust the Lord? Why worship the Lord? Why seek the Lord? Why fear the Lord? And the reality is, is we're not going to worship the Lord or seek the Lord or fear the Lord unless we trust the Lord. But once again, why? Like, what's God gonna do? What's in it for me? We usually ask that question. If I actually worship the Lord and seek the Lord and fear the Lord and, 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 and trust the Lord, what's God gonna do in this? Sometimes it just doesn't seem to make sense. If you knew my circumstances, say, why would I trust God with it? I've tried to trust God with it and, and things have gotten worse. Well, I can't explain your circumstance to you in a lot of cases. Sometimes I don't even understand my own circumstances. But I think Warren Wiersbe's right when he says, we don't live on explanations, we live on promises. And I want you to see in closing some of the promises that God gives us through David in this text today. As we worship him and seek him and fear him and trust him, what's God gonna do? Well, let's kind of walk back through it. You know, we walked through it the first time, looking at it kind of from the human side of the equation. You know, this is what David's teaching us to do. Let's walk back through this, look at some of the key things from the God side of it and see what God is going to do. Look at verse four. He says, and, and this is said in different ways, multiple times through this text. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. As we worship and trust and seek and fear, know that God hears us. 
You may not feel like it sometimes, but we don't live on explanations. We live on promises. It's claiming the promise of God that when we pray, God is listening. He may say yes. He may say no. He may say wait. He may say there's some things I'm doing in you. There's some things that I got to work out here, but God hears us. Notice what else he does. It says the, the second part of verse four, God delivers us from our fears. He says, he delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. It means kind of like the light of God upon their countenance. Their faces were not ashamed. As we seek God and we bring our problems and our difficulties and our fears and our worries and our broken hearts to us, to him, God can take that fear and replace it with his peace. God delivers us from our fears. So are we trying to like self-medicate and deal with our fears in our own ways? Are we taking them to the Lord? We see here also in, um, in verses six and seven that God protects. It says, the poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers him. God protects his children. Once again, he's promised trouble in these verses. Doesn't mean we're never gonna go through problems. Doesn't mean nothing, ever bad, nothing bad is ever gonna happen to us. Ultimately, we're all going to die. But God is protecting us and he's taking care of us. You know, I don't care what's going on. One of my basic convictions of life, I absolutely believe the Bible teaches this, is that God's child doing God's will is safe until God is, is finished with that person. And when we're finished, that's it. You know, sometimes people have said this before, ask about like going to Honduras and that's a dangerous place. You worry, I'm like, if God's finished with me, I can die in Jefferson City or Morristown or Honduras or wherever else. If God's not finished with me, I'm gonna be fine. That's how I look at a pandemic. Doesn't mean we should be stupid and arrogant and like, oh, I'm a Christian, you know, this could never touch me. That's obviously not the case. But I believe when, when God's done with me, it could be coronavirus, it could be something else, God's done with me. Until he's done with me, I believe he's gonna take care of me. And because the Bible says that our uh, days are numbered, fashioned in a book before we're ever even born. You see throughout the Bible, God protecting his servants. You see, they wanted to kill Jesus earlier in his ministry. They couldn't take Jesus out until it was time because God is sovereign over our lives. God protects his children. Uh, we also see here in, in verse eight that God satisfies. He says here, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You know, a, a lot of the times, the reason that we struggle so much, the reason that we're overwhelmed, the reason that our hearts are broken is because we're eating spiritual junk food at best and spiritual poison at worst, instead of feeding on the goodness and the grace of God, instead of getting into the presence of God and finding our satisfaction in him, instead of feeding on the good uh, food of the word of God and getting our souls and our spirits uh, built up. Uh, you know, a lot of times we're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places, and that's always going to leave us empty. But Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. He is the one who satisfies our souls. What are we feeding on? And then uh, he, he says here um, in, in the next couple of verses that uh, God provides 
says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Uh, it's kind of the Old Testament version of Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. As we seek the Lord, as we worship the Lord, as we put him first, God takes care of us. God provides for us. He doesn't give us everything we want, but he gives us what we need. Um, you know, kind of skipping down a, a little bit, we see here that God is near. In, in, in verse um, 18, it says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. That means that whatever we're going through, God has not abandoned us. He promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He is ever present with us. If you're a Christian, he lives inside of you by his spirit. And you, you may feel alone. You may feel like nobody cares about you, but know the Lord is with you and he's never going to leave you no matter what is going on in your life. And then the, the last thing here in verse 22 it says, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. You know, in Romans 8.1, the Bible says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, if, if you are trusting Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed. The price has been paid. You're forgiven. You're a child of God, and there is no condemnation to you. But the Bible tells us in John 3.36 that he who has the son has eternal life, but he who does not have the son, the wrath of God abides or is remaining upon him. That's the, the two spiritual conditions. There's not good people and bad people. There's dead people and alive people by the grace of God. What's our spiritual condition? And so have you been redeemed? Because the reality is, these promises don't apply to you unless you've been redeemed through the death of Jesus Christ, unless you are trusting in him. And so for some of you, what you need right now spiritually, what you need right now in dealing with life and what you need for eternal life is to repent of your sins and by faith commit your life to Christ. And whether you're here in person, whether you're online, if that's you, if, if your heart is broken, if your heart is empty, if, if you're guilty, if, you, if you're still bearing the weight of sin, know that Jesus is your sin bearer. Know that he died on the cross for you. Know that he gives you grace like Ryan read from 1 Thessalonians. So then we can have peace, the, the peace with God, the, the peace of God. But it comes... When we come to the end of ourselves and, and when we repent and when we acknowledge our sinfulness and our inability to save ourselves and when we then by faith trust Jesus and, and give our lives to him. But know this, if we have been redeemed, if, if the condemnation is removed, I want to close by reading from the end of Romans chapter 8, if you want to go there. Romans 8, starting in verse 31, says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see, this chapter begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And the idea is he's saying none of these things will. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why, even when we feel overwhelmed, why, even when our hearts are breaking, would we worship the Lord, would we seek the Lord, would we fear the Lord? Will we trust the Lord? It's because that in Christ, he's removed all condemnation. He's redeemed us. He's made us his children and he is with us and he is for us and he is working all things together uh, for our good. And, and there's, we're justified. There's no condemnation. We're more than conquerors. Nothing can ever separate us uh, from his love. And the more that we see who God is and worship him for that. And then the more that we see who we are in him and what we have in him, the more peace we're going to have and the stronger we're going to be able to stand and the more that we're going to be able to overcome even when life's hard. What he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. If you're not a Christian today, I invite you to claim the promise of God of salvation in Christ and to call on the name of the Lord. If you are a Christian, I encourage all of us that no matter what's going on in our lives, knowing that we sometimes can't control our circumstances. I mean, David couldn't control that Saul wanted to kill him. Knowing sometimes that we create difficult circumstances, which David did by fleeing to the land of the Philistines, knowing sometimes these things work themselves together. Know that God is still near, that he's still with us. He loves us. He's for us. We can trust him. And we express that trust by worshiping him, by seeking him, and by fearing him.